Hello, and welcome to the LB School Podcast. I'm Christy Michelle, and today we're joined by Brandy Colbert, author of the Stonewall Book Award-winning Little and Lion. Her next book is Finding Yvonne, and it hits shelves August 7th. Hi, Brandy. Hi, Christy. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And thank you for writing Finding Yvonne. It's one of the favorite books that I've read since I've been here. I've only been here a few months, but it's absolutely brilliant. I'm so excited to talk to you about it. Thank you so much. That means a lot. (laughs) I'm going to start off with a few personal questions just to get to know you better, just to let people know who you are and what kind of writer you are. So I'll start with why write? In a world that has so many possibilities and in a city as dynamic as L.A., why choose to be a writer and more specifically a YA writer? What unique things does YA allow you to do? I think it feels a little generic to say this, but I write sort of because I can't not write. I've been writing since I was a little kid, since I was about seven years old. And I even noticed lately, like if I haven't been writing in a while, I get really cranky, like really in my head about things. I love sort of putting down on paper the things that I observe around me. Um, The other day a friend was looking at me, we were in a big group and she said, Brandy notices everything. And I was like, yeah, I do notice everything. And I like to get those thoughts down to sort of help me process um, what I'm seeing and what I'm thinking about and what's going on in the world. And as for young adult, that's just such a pivotal time in life. Um, I've said this before, but, you know, it's the time when everything's new and fresh and exciting and you're still under your parents' control a little bit, but you're starting to get more freedom. You're starting to drive and you have a curfew, so you're allowed to go out with your friends um, and just all sorts of new experiences that are sort of pushing you from childhood into adulthood. I think it's just one of the best times in life. I I had a really great time as a teen, and I had a really great time in high school. Um, So it's really tough, but it's also really great, and I think that just makes for really good stories. I think that kind of shines through in your writing, the way you capture that liminal space between, not to quote, who's that singer, the blonde singer? She had like a mental breakdown, and she shaved her head. Oh, Britney Spears? Not to quote Britney Spears, not yet a woman, that song. But you do a great job of capturing that moment in in a teen's life. You're not yet an adult, but you're no longer a kid and you're trying to find out how to become an adult. It's just really great. So my next question is, what are some essential Brandy Colbert books? The books that have shaped you as a writer and a thinker. And piggybacking off of that, what are the more recent books you've read that you think will still be with you in 20, 30 years? Yeah, when I think about um, the books that shaped me, I think a lot about Judy Bloom lately especially. I think because my books have been focusing more on sort of family and also that, um, you know, the coming of age, which she did so well. I don't, I always try to think if I have a favorite of her books. And I'm not sure I do. They'd all just, you know, I mean, of course I loved um, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. That one was great. And I really remember sort of sneaking into the bookstore to, you know, read passages from Forever, which was known as like, you know, her sex book. But those books were really important and the fact that people still talk about them and they still sort of build um, Judy Bloom as the queen of, you know, young adult coming of age stories is really important. So I loved her books. I also loved this author named uh, Barth de Clements, who I don't know, nobody really talks about her as much, but she felt to me sort of like the alternative Judy Bloom. So she was writing a lot of, um, she was writing around the same time, and she was writing 
similar stories, um, but hers felt just sort of honest in a way that you don't get even with, you know, like with Judy Bloom's books that I love, but Barth to Clement's books really sort of went there. They were hard hitting. They tackled a lot of tough subjects too, but in a really sort of raw way that made me uncomfortable to read about, but that I felt were like real life. Um, so I really still think about those books, especially as I, as I write um, more young adult novels. And then the books that shaped me that I'm reading, that I've read recently, um, I think Liera Tamani's Calling My Name, which came out last year in 2017. It's about a young girl, a young black girl in Texas who grew up in a religious family. And she's um, still trying to juggle sort of her faith with, you know, her sexual desires as she's coming into adolescence. And I really loved that. That's something that I felt would have been really good for me to read as a teen who was going to church every week, but not necessarily feeling like I knew what was going on there, sort of, if that makes sense. Um, And then I also think about Renee Watson's books, um, which are also about young black girls that really speak to me. Um, They get to the heart of what it means to be a black girl, um, and especially in a white setting, which is how I grew up. And then Nina LaCour and Alana K. Arnold's books are also just absolutely brilliant. I can't even pick a favorite out of all of theirs. Um, They also show just examples of teen girls um, going through a myriad of problems and issues and just done so beautifully, all with just such beautiful writing. I feel like I need to write all those names and all those books down and just (laughs) add them to my bookshelf and just spend the rest of the summer reading them right now. I highly recommend that. All right, on my to-do list. Your second book, Little and Lion, won the Stonewall Book Award, as I mentioned before. Congratulations. Thank you. We just celebrated that in June, and you gave an amazing speech that can be found online. I'll make sure to link to it so that people can read it or listen to it. So Little and Lion is about a young woman exploring her sexuality and her relationship with her brother, who's bipolar. The book that you have coming out soon on August 7th is Finding Yvonne. Could you tell us a little bit about Finding Yvonne and how you came up with the idea for it and what about the scenario drew you to it? What made you want to write about Finding Yvonne? Sure. Um, so Finding Yvonne is about a girl who sort of loses her passion for something that she thought was going to be in her life forever, which is music. And she's also dealing with um, her mother who's been got, who left the family when she was about six so about 12 years ago, um, and also then sort of the resulting relationship with her single father, who is a workaholic and is not there for her emotionally at all. And then she's also juggling two relationships, um, not even relationships, but two sort of, well, we can call them relationships, um, with two guys um, at the same time who are very different guys and sort of fill different roles in her life. So I came up with the idea, I don't really know, um, Yvonne was a character whose voice sort of came to me first. And I don't know, I just knew right away that I wanted to write about this girl who was also sort of exploring her sexuality, but in a different way from Suzette and Little and Lion, in that Yvonne is sort of more sexually experienced maybe than other girls her age, and she's not apologetic about it. And she likes sex, and she likes guys, and she's not going to stop doing what she wants to do just because of the way other people might look at her. She's being safe and honest with herself, and that's really all that matters to her. But I really also wanted to write about the dynamic of maybe losing something that you knew you always wanted to 
do. I didn't have that experience. I was lucky enough to know from a young age that I wanted to be a writer and was able to do that. But also, I have a journalism background and I work in journalism. So I'm getting to do the two things that I loved. But I thought, what if I hadn't been that teen who was so sure of what they wanted to do and who changed their mind, you know, right before they were going to college, there was a lot of pressure around that with friends that I saw, you know, if they were just getting maybe their general, you know, education degree and they like didn't have a major, it was like, what are you doing with your life? And it's like, how are you supposed to know what you're doing with your life at 18? Like you're practically still a baby. Yeah. That was one of the things I liked the most about the book. I guess what resonated with me is that it deals with these hard truths about confronting your own limitations, I guess, and realizing how those limitations don't make you any less of a person. And of course, that isn't something that only teens deal with. It's something you can encounter over and over again in your life, even as an adult. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, you know, I, I wrote it about a teen, but I think that can be really relevant to people my age too, you know, sometimes you start a career that you thought you were sure you wanted to do and you find out that isn't actually what you wanted to do. And a lot of people start over in life, um, whether it's just a mid, you know, midlife change or after they retire from a career. Um, so yeah, I think that a lot of people hopefully will be able to relate to that aspect. Yeah. Um, I feel like, especially in the U S there's this drive for certainty. You have to know what you're doing and where you're going at all times. And I really like the way you you have the sense of ambiguity in finding Yvonne, but also in, in all of your work. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Was writing Yvonne different from writing your previous novels? Yeah, it was really different. Um, what's so funny about this novel, okay, well, full disclosure, it was the second uh, book on a two-book contract, so sort of had this deadline to write two that I didn't necessarily have with the other books. Um, but it really, once I started going, once I found, um, her voice and the story, I just could not stop writing. It was almost one of those experiences where I couldn't get her story out fast enough. Like I couldn't type it fast enough. It was just coming to me. Um, so I wrote it fairly quickly, but it is much shorter, I think, than my two previously published novels, um, which I found interesting. And I'm not, I'm still not sure why, um, I don't know if her voice was so clear that I was able to sort of just write it um, quickly and more succinctly than the others. Um, But I really felt connected to her in a way that maybe I didn't feel with um, Suzette or um, Theo from my first book. I'm not sure why. It was just this, maybe it was the space I was in, I'm not sure, but it was just this voice of sort of this lonely girl um, that I really wanted to tell and wanted to spend time with. Did... Yvonne change or evolve as you were writing her or was her her voice just so clear in your head that it just came out exactly as as it started out in your head I think it really just continued on the way it started out in my head which is rare you know of course there were edits um but I just felt really that I knew her um very well in a way that it's not always easy to know your characters as soon as you start writing them and I felt that way with her cool I feel like it's an excellent time to be a young black teen reader. When I was younger, I I don't remember having people like Nicola Yoon and E.B. Zaboy, people like you. I had Sarah Dessen and Meg Cabot, and I loved them, but, you know, they weren't you. 
And of course, your books aren't only for quote unquote young black teen readers, they're for everyone. But I do think there's something to be said about articulating that particular experience, about populating the imagination with these characters, and maybe even creating the imaginary spaces where these characters can exist. I'm going to date myself here, but Suzette from Little and Lion and Yvonne aren't Dion Davenport from Clueless and Chastity from 10 Things I Hate About You. They're, they're the center of their own stories. They're not like the side characters. They have black parents, black friends, black crushes. They have these entire worlds that are populated where they aren't made singular because of their race. They aren't, um, and this is a quote from Claudia Rankin Citizen, which I've just been reading and which reminded me so much about the work you do, they aren't thrown against a sharp white background. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to that. Do you ever feel like you're working against all that history? Yeah, that's such a great question. If you're dating yourself, and I am too, because uh, Clueless came out when I was 16, and I went to see it in the theater three times. Um, it's a great movie. It's still one of my favorites. But I think part of that was because of Dion. Um, I, here was this, you know, cool black girl who, although she was a sidekick character, we didn't get to see really much of her life that wasn't related to Cher, the main character. Um, you did see this black girl that was desired by guys and people wanted to be her friend and she was fun and cool and she had a personality. And that was really all too rare um, back in the 90s to see that on a big screen. Um, so Dion, the character of Dion has always held a special place in my heart. Um, but yeah, you know, sometimes I feel like my books are a little bit wish fulfillment um, for what I, for my um, adolescence. Um, I grew up in Springfield, Missouri. Um, it's a very white town. It's diversified a little bit since I left in the early 2000s, but not much. Um, so I didn't, not only did not see those representations of black girls on screen, but I didn't have them in my real life either. Um, so in my books, I really want to write sort of just the way I would have wanted to grow up. Um, I wanted to have black friends. I wanted to have black guys to crush on. Um, I just wanted all those nuances that the characters in the books I was reading and in the film and TV that I was watching, I wanted to have those nuances in my own life. And so that's what I give my characters. It's really important to, you know, not only I don't write to, I don't write to meet any sort of quotas or anything like that, but it is important to me to show all these different um, types of kids and, and, you know, ethnicities and races in the page, on the page, because that is the real world. And, you know, I'm an adult now, but I live in LA and I see the kids walking around and I even see my own group of friends and, you know, it's, it doesn't look like it did used to in the movies and when I was and in the books when I was growing up. So I'm just really happy to be able to contribute a little bit to that conversation. Yeah, I think it's brilliant because sometimes I feel like there are some people they see these worlds in, in, in the books. They see the worlds that writers like you create in these books, and they think that these worlds don't exist, but they do exist. There are girls who are like Yvonne, who have, I mean, this is going to sound so obvious, but have black parents and black friends and black, black boyfriends and black girlfriends, and it's just a reality of the world. And it's really great to see that in YA now. Thank you. I'm, I'm just super happy to get the chance to put that out there. Um, and I think, again, like, for a while there were so many 
even if there were novels featuring black characters, it was a certain type of black character and you didn't get to see that nuance um, or that, you know, diversity within blackness. Yeah. And just to go back to Clueless, it's absolutely one of my favorite movies as well. And I love Dion and I love her little romance in that, in that movie. Yeah, I love her style. So, I know. I still think about those hats and those yeah. skirts and those outfits are so good. Yeah. Okay, so talking a little bit more about race and about identity, there's a whole literary history of blackness and invisibility, like in Invisible Man and in Claudia Rankin's work in Citizen, as I mentioned before. In Finding Yvonne, Yvonne is at a crossroads. She's struggling with her lifelong devotion to the violin and doesn't know if she wants to play professionally or if she has the talent for it. Her father is almost an absent parent despite their living together, and her mother left the family when Yvonne was very young. I think she was seven years old. Yvonne says, I've never stood out for anything besides violin. Could you talk about Yvonne and invisibility, about the way she's, she feels that she isn't being seen or recognized by her dad, all the while her dad clearly recognizes Warren's talent. Warren is one of the boys she's involved with. Um, and could you talk about her struggling to find something she can love and excel at and the fear she has of losing the one thing she's known for? Yeah, um, I think with Yvonne not having any idea where her mom went and why she left um, has been something at the back of her mind this whole time. But I think her dad has just sort of been the guy who's like, you know, we're doing fine by ourselves. Like, I make good money. I'm really good at my job and recognized in my field. I send you to a good school. I've given you a good life. And it's sort of like, what else do you need? But what she needs is actually his attention. And um, she has his love, but he shows it in sort of odd ways and he doesn't ever tell her that. So I think that that is a really strange and really pretty terrible position to be in, um, to feel like you're sort of being ignored by the only person who lives in your house with you, but also like your only parent, essentially, since she has no idea where her mom is. And so I think that's a really interesting, it was a really interesting dynamic for me to explore, um, because obviously her father hasn't dealt with his feelings and the fallout of her mother leaving. And so I was trying to just create this facade of everything's great, you know, we're this really, we're doing really well, we're this really great family, um, where it's not on the surface, yes, um, on paper, yes, but it's not necessarily really the case. Um, and so then I think in those years, Yvonne has used her violin as sort of a crutch, um, if you want to say, to get over her mom, um, to find that missing link in her life, to feel like she's doing something important, sort of a goal that she has to just excel at, at this music thing. Um, and then to realize that that's not working out is kind of a punch in the face to her. I wanted to hear you talk a little bit about Yvonne struggling to find something she can love and excel out, excel at, and the fear she has of losing the one thing she's known for. Basically to talk about how she wants to be seen, not just by her father, but maybe how she wants to present herself to the world, how she wants to be known. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that she feels really out of sorts when she realizes violin isn't the thing for her. And she, she wants to 
she wants to be known for something. Um, she doesn't know quite what that is, but she wants to be good at something. She sees her father, who, again, like excels in his field and is well-known um, and has worked his way up to being this you know, famous chef of fine dining. And then also his sous chef, um, who is one of her love interests, Warren, um, you know, as you said, her father recognizes his talent and supports him. And so I think even if it were just to sort of get that that same sort of love and respect from her father that Warren gets that she sees so clearly in front of her, I think that could even be an impetus for her to find something that feels like like something that's her own, um, that defines her, that that is her, and that she's really great at. And this is only just coming to me now, but there's this whole narrative of black excellence that's that's in the zeitgeist now, I feel like. Like, if you're going to be the first black president, you have to be the best president. If you're going to be a violinist like Yvonne thought she wanted to meet, she has to be the best violinist. And also, she's surrounded by people who excel. She's surrounded by black people who excel at what they do. And I think that may be something a little bit unspoken in the background there in her head about black excellence and how she relates to that. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something that I always sort of am thinking about um, when I write. But it's also something that was really ingrained in me from an early age. Um, when you are one of the few black families in town, you have, you are expected to carry yourself a certain way in my family. You weren't really allowed to fail publicly. You weren't allowed to mess up or, you know, act out or do anything that anyone else might get to do because then that might define you instead of all your positive attributes, right? So I sort of grew up with that feeling, and it's hard to shake. Um, I, as an adult, now have a lot of friends and colleagues who, when when I talk to them about things, they say, you're really hard on yourself, and they sound surprised by it, but I'm like, oh, is there any other way to be? You know, it's it's hard to sort of of rid yourself of that. Yeah, I almost sometimes feel like that's the double-edged sword of of, um, representation politics, just... The other side of it is sometimes respectability politics, that yes. um, if you're going to be seen as a black person, you better be at the very top of your game. You better be the absolute best because you're representing not just, you're not just there for yourself, you're representing all the other black people who exist in the world as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's something I've, I've felt. And, you know, as someone who in my hometown was the first to do a lot of things, I think it takes a while for that feeling to go away, and it might never go away. Yeah. I found the depiction of Yvonne's loneliness so moving. Like, it hit me so hard. She has this yearning for connection and a deep-seated fear of being abandoned, obviously because her mother left her. Why did you want to write about loneliness? Did you learn anything about the nature of loneliness and how a person can work against it while writing Finding Yvonne? And do do you think Yvonne found a way to combat her loneliness? I think I wanted to write about it. Um, <clears throat> I actually read um, Nina LaCour's We Are Okay After. I wrote this, the first draft of this, but it's something that I thought about as I was revising, just the clear way. I was so struck in that novel by how the main character straight up was like, I'm lonely. And I was like, wow, you know, that almost feels like a bad word, like something we don't really say. And like it feels shameful to admit that you're lonely or to 
say that you can be lonely, you know, and people can look at you and say, but you have so many great friends, you have a family, you have a boyfriend, you have this and that, you can still be lonely, surrounded by some of the greatest people, and, you know, even having such a great life. Um, So I wanted to sort of explore that, because on the surface, again, Yvonne does have a lot of great things. She, you know, is part of a a well-to-do family, and her father is successful, and she really doesn't want for anything. Um, she has her pick of where to go to school. Like, she's not restricted by much. But then there's sort of this loneliness that is just always at the back of her mind. Uh, do you think Yvonne found a way to combat her loneliness? And did you learn anything about loneliness while you were writing the book? I think that I learned that it is okay to say that you're lonely when you're lonely and that no one's going to be angry with you for saying that and that it's okay. And even if it makes you vulnerable, it's, it's, it's humanizing. It's real. It's human. I don't know if she combated it. I'd like to think that she learned how to reach out for help when she's feeling like the loneliness is overwhelming her. And I think that's definitely a good step to learning to combat it. Just what you said just a few seconds ago about loneliness being or lonely being a dirty word there is this kind of shame that accompanies it I feel and I also think that people don't really know how to talk about loneliness almost it's kind of like this word that has this void around it so people don't know the kind of conversations they can have about loneliness or even how to have those conversations so I really appreciated that Yvonne was dealing with this, this thing that people don't talk about a lot. Yeah, thank you. I think it was also important to show that, that I don't know, you can have so much, and, and well, I mean, I kind of already said this, but just I wanted to show that you can have so much and still be lonely, and that it is just a very real part of life. Yeah. This little detail that caught me and absolutely broke my heart, I'm going to quote from the book, Yvonne She's describing, this is a moment when she's describing her best friend, Sabina, and she's describing herself. And she says, I keep my hair plated in box braids thanks to the hair salon because no one has ever taught me how to do anything else with it. It's just one line in the book, but that right there speaks volumes to me because it encapsulates everything she's lost with the absence of her mother, which contributes to her loneliness. She keeps her hair in braids that she gets done at the salon because she didn't have her mom there to teach her what to do with her hair. And hair is such like a central thing for black girls, I feel like. It's about it's about time that you spend with yourself, time that you spend with other women who have hair just like you and also how you present yourself to the world. And I just that line just really really touched me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that was all the sort of subtext. There, you know, this book is short and I think there are a lot of things that are sort of not explicitly stated on the page, but that are in the subtext there, like you picked up on. Um, and yeah, I just thought, you know, what if I hadn't had a mom to teach? I, I still remember sort of the passing of the guard, from like when my mom used to do my hair every day. And then I don't know, it was like maybe sixth or seventh grade. And she was like, all right, it's up to you now. And, you know, I'm going to like teach you the basics and you're on your own from here on out. And I was terrified, but it was still so nice to have someone who had not only been doing my hair, putting in that work, you know, it's just a routine that you get into. And, and there's also that element of human touch, you know, every day yeah. and from someone who loves you and someone you love. And it, it just would seem like, it just seems so sad and like such a shame for a young black girl not to have that in her life. 
Yeah, absolutely. I had the same experience with my mother where she was like, all right, Christy, you're 14 now, so here's a little bit of freedom. You get to do what you want with your hair. Yep. I love that. <laughs> All right, so you were born and raised in Springfield, Missouri, but Finding Yvonne is set in L.A. Little and Lion was too. In Finding Yvonne especially, L.A. is like a character in its own right. Was having a vibrant depiction of L.A. important to you? Oh, yes, definitely, definitely. So I uh, I wrote about this a little bit in the Stonewall speech that you referenced, um, but moving to L.A. just sort of felt like it opened a new chapter in my life. Um, Growing up in a pretty conservative area, um, I never really felt like I could be who I wanted to be um, or that I wanted or that I was really surrounded by the people who I wanted to be friends with. And by that, I just mean um, my ideas about the world and being open to pretty much, you know, anyone who was different or anyone who was different from me. And just wanting to get to know people who are different from me. And I found all of that in L.A., as soon as I arrived, I just, I felt like, oh, I'm here. Like, this is where I should have been my whole life. Like, I found it. So, yeah, I really wanted to sort of show this, this, I don't know, this wide open world, which, again, kind of relates back to Yvonne's life, where it's like she's in this city where you can do anything. Her dad is a super liberal dude who smokes a lot of pot. You know, it's just a different, a much different place from where I grew up. Um, so I really wanted to sort of show LA and all its different sides and complexities. This is this is a side question, but do you think you would ever want to write about a girl who grew up like you did in like in a small town in the South? Is Missouri the South? Is it considered the South? Oh my gosh, Christy, this is such a debate. This is like the never ending debate. <laughs> it's is Missouri Midwest or South? <laughs> um, I still don't have an answer, but people get in arguments about it all the time. I think that it's like Midwest with very southern influences, especially the area that I'm from, which is like two hours north of the Arkansas border. Mm-hmm. And my parents are from Arkansas, so I definitely had a lot of that southern influence in my upbringing. You know, I've tried a few times. It's really hard. It feels too close. It's one of those things that every time I try to start writing about any sort of fiction from my hometown, I can't, I can't quite do it. I don't know what it is, but it's maybe still too raw. Well, you said that Yvonne was a character you were really close to, so maybe she can be a bridge. There you go. You never know. You never know. So, there's obviously, there's teen sex in Finding Yvonne. Yvonne is sexually active. She's unapologetic about it, as you mentioned. And it's one of the, the most fraught things she faces in the book. I think, for me, even more difficult than her becoming pregnant even more difficult for her, just the judgment that comes with people learning that she's sexually active in the way that she's sexually active. Because she doesn't give it an official, like, I'm in love stamp of approval. She isn't married. She she is, like, neither Warren nor Omar are her, like, official boyfriends. So I, I just thought it was really interesting that you chose to write about a young woman who has sex in this way. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Why did you, why did you write Yvonne that way and what did you want to explore and did you discover anything while writing about it? Yeah, I love this question. Um, so I never write for, with an agenda in mind, but again, I always sort of try to make people 
I say uncomfortable. I like to make people think about things. And you don't really get to see um, teen black girls on the page or, you know, on the screen having unapologetic sex the same way that you get to see, you know, white girls or maybe girls of other ethnicities. It seems like there is this rule where you you have to be committed or, you know, um, you have to learn some sort of bad lesson from the pregnancy or from the sex. And, you know, there is a pregnancy in this book. So maybe I fed into that a little bit, but I really wanted to shatter respectability politics. I know that in high school I was not having sex and, you know, all of my friends pretty much were white and they were having sex and it never seemed weird to me that they were, but I always knew like, well, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not the same as them. People will look at me differently, mm-hmm. you know, be like, Oh, like Brandy's just so free and, you know, open and, all of that, it would be like a judgment just because of the color of my skin, my background. So I really wanted to sort of just shatter that notion and just show, we need to start showing black girls just in all of their complexities. Um, they need to be allowed the same agency as any other girls um, in life and in books and on screen. Yeah. Like when she got pregnant, I was like, okay, Yvonne is pregnant. Now she has to deal with this. But when I saw the way you navigated her her relationship with Warren and her relationship with Omar and how there wasn't a clean cut, right? It's one of the things that she she's scared to talk about with Sabina about how it's not like she can't exactly tell who the father is because she had sex with each of them so close to one another. I remember feeling like my heart my heart rate speed up at that because I was like oh no she's in trouble she's going to be punished for this but she isn't punished and I I just love that yeah thanks that's that's something I wanted to show too because you know I don't think teenagers should be punished for having sex it's a really natural way of life and you know I grew up feeling quite a bit of shame at even being interested in sex before marriage and to me that's wild you know that's I personally don't think that's the world that we should live in. I think that teenagers should just be as educated as possible about sex, but I, I don't think there should be that shame around it, and I didn't want her to have that shame. But again, that's another judgment that people are going to put on you if you're having sex. Even now as an adult, I think if you're having you know, sex with two different people at the same time, and if you, even if you were being safe, I think people would still have a lot to say about it. So there's this kind of multiplicity of blackness in your work. It reminds me of Juan in Moonlight and what he tells little Chiron about Black people being everywhere, and also of what Gwendolyn Brooks writes in Maud Martha about Blackness coming in all shades. So in the scene I mentioned a little bit before about when Yvonne is describing herself and Sabina, she tells us that Sabrina is dark-skinned, and she tells us that she herself is a, I think the term she uses is honey-colored, so she's a little more light-skinned than Sabina is. In Little and Lion, Emile is mixed, and in Finding Yvonne, Warren is mixed. But in Finding Yvonne, it's not just about race. It's also about class. Yvonne gets asked what it's like being around rich people all the time, and she notes that Venice Beach has been gentrified. She actually uses that word, gentrification. Keely and Omar live in in this house that has lots of other young artists living in it and you can tell that they don't have a lot of money and they're just trying to make their way in the world with the musical talent that they have. But we later discover that Omar is a trust fund kid. 
I wanted to ask you, how did you approach writing about race and class, and how did you approach writing about the intersections of those two things? Yeah, so I always, always am interested in writing about race, um, and like you said, sort of acknowledging that there are different, you know, complexions, different skin tones, different shades, and that's going to affect the way people are treated a lot of the times. Um, so I always want to sort of deal with that, and just, but also just to show that blackness comes in all shades, and it's, you know, beautiful, and and not everyone looks the same, and I think that's just so wonderful because, you know, you hear that a lot, like, the stereotype of, they all look alike, and it's, like, so not true, and so, you know, I just, I want to, like, show, show the differences um, in, in fiction and in my description um, of these characters. In class, yeah, I, I really was interested in the way Yvonne related to Omar and Keely especially, because um, it is such a... a vast difference and she's living in this really comfortable nice home you know when Omar comes to her house uh, for the first time he's like oh like kind of basically like you guys have money and she's like how can you tell he's like I can just tell nice things which we later find out it's because he grew up with nice things also but I I just think it was really I think it's really interesting the way that race and class do intersect Um, I growing up was often mistaken for someone of a lower class than I existed in. So I grew up sort of middle class, um, maybe on like the upper end of that for the area that I was in, you know, living in. Um, And I really never wanted for anything, same as Yvonne. We wouldn't have been considered rich, but my family was comfortable. And a lot of people in my hometown were actually really surprised to see that, which always surprised me, you know, in turn. So I just thought it was interesting if someone grew up being known, you know, as the trust fund kid and then tried to subvert that by actually just being like, no, I'm, I'm a street musician. I'm living, you know, in this dilapidated house in Venice Beach with, you know, dozens of other people and eating food out of dumpsters. And it's like going so far to prove that you're not what people thought you were, but in the other way. And sort of as a way to gain credibility as a black person, I just thought was really kind of wild. But also, I know something that has happened and does happen in real life. It was really wild. A hypothetical situation, for example. You're speaking on the phone with someone, and they come up with an image of who you are and what you look like and all of that. And then you meet them in real life, and they take a step back, and you can see it in their eyes, and they're like, oh, you're black. Mm-hmm. Um, so... While I was reading Finding Yvonne, it was almost that same kind of thing that happened, but with class. Kind of like just that people are surprised that Yvonne is in in the class that she is. Just I just felt like there was something going on there with how Yvonne thought of herself and then that being thrown back to her when people see her and they realize that she's not poor, she's not exactly rich, but she is in the class that she is. She goes to a private school and all those things. Yeah, definitely. I love that analogy because that has happened to me and my family so often, the phone thing, where it's like, oh, yeah, you, you see that shift and they're thinking like, wow, I was talking to a black person that whole time and I didn't even know it. Like, yeah. it, you know, it's something that needs to be different from talking to anyone else. Yeah, I think with Yvonne also, what I tried to do was just, for her, it's matter of fact, like, 
she grew up comfortable. It's not something she says at one point, it's not something that she felt like she ever needed to hide because it's just what it is. And her dad has never felt like he's needed to hide his success or, you know, how that manifests in his uh, home life because he worked hard for it. So yeah, I just sort of wanted to put that in there and definitely address it, but also, you know, it's, it's just a way of life for her and her dad. And she doesn't really think about it. She doesn't feel the need to apologize for it. And she doesn't think too much about it until someone else brings it up. Obviously I love Warren. He's like, he's like the dream boy in any, any novel that I would read. But I thought Omar was so interesting as a character because of what you said before, because of what he was trying to do, trying to prove his blackness by creating this like false identity for himself. Could you talk a little bit more about that, like get more into that? Yeah, um, that's so funny because <laughs> all the reactions I've heard about Omar are just like, I hate him. And I'm like, yeah, but like, talk about why you hate him. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he is kind of a slime ball, you know, he's this guy who's busking for change when really all he has to do is call his parents and apologize for dropping out of, you know, this very prestigious, expensive music school that they sent him to. And he'd be fine. He'd have all this money coming in instead of, you know, um, someone in the family funneling it to him in secret. Hopefully, uh, I guess we're past the point of spoilers at this point. But yeah, I just thought that was really interesting for someone to be so uncomfortable with the way they grew up that they feel like they need to lie about who they are when in actuality their real self would be more socially accepted in mm -hmm. a way because I think you know um, street musicians and people living in the sort of communal housing that he and Keeley live in probably not thought of too well by most people which I sort of tried to convey in the story so I just think it's really interesting that he felt like he would fit in more with his race if he pretended to be someone that he wasn't. But then that's also perpetuating a stereotype of that, you know, all black people are in one, um, one economic class. So there's sort of a lot to dig into there. Absolutely. I just think he's like psychologically fascinating. The fact that in order to, to like, quote unquote, be more black, he would pretend to be poor. Right. Just like, it makes me wonder about the kind of media he watched, the kind of family he grew up in, what his parents are like, what his friends are like, to make him think that. Not only think that, but to enact it, to put on this act. It's so, it's almost like this, This like if he were a comedian, like it would be an absurd act that he, he would put on just to throw the stereotype in people's faces, I feel like. So I just, I found him absolutely fascinating. I'm so glad. <laughs> At the end of the novel, Yvonne decides to have an abortion, and she says she knows that it's the right decision for her. I found that moment to be really powerful. I, I, I found it powerful because of the way you described it structurally in the novel. At the beginning, Yvonne is all alone, basically, right? She doesn't have, like, she doesn't have her mother there, obviously. She doesn't have any siblings. I noticed that she doesn't have this huge group of friends the way Suzette had in Little and Lion. But then in this pivotal scene at the end of the novel, she goes into the center and she has Sabina there. She has Sabina's moms there. And like in this 
miraculous, like beautiful, moving scene, her, her dad comes in too. So she's surrounded by people she loves and people who love her. So I just had to gush about that. I really love that. So what is the actual question I want to ask you after gushing about it? <laughs> oh, I found it to be a really powerful scene because of the way you you navigated it, the way you constructed it and put it into the novel. But I really like that there was an absolute certainty for her. In a book with so much ambiguity, a book where Yvonne is trying to find out who she is, who she wants to be, this one moment has a certainty to it. And it's such a fraught moment, not in the book, but just outside of the book. Even right now, in the news, people are debating about abortion. It's always something that, it's always a topic and a conversation that brings out all different kinds of opinions and all different kinds of emotions. But in Finding Yvonne, it's just that. It's her decision and that's it. And that's what she wants and that's what she's going to do. So I wanted to ask you, why did you do that? Yeah, I wanted to do that because I haven't really seen that um, in fiction, particularly for teen girls and especially for black girls, because again, there's always that extra pressure of you're representing a whole community, no matter what decision you make. And so I think then that does sort of deter people from making the right, the decision that's best for them. And especially, I think, growing up in the place that I did, you know, abortions weren't impossible to get, but they were harder. And I know that anyone who had them, especially as a teen, they were a secret. They weren't talked about. It was um, a hush-hush thing. It was shameful. It was people not being confident that they did the right thing because of the judgments going on around them. Um, So I really wanted to show a girl who could just make that decision even though, you know, hey, if she had had that child, maybe you think, oh, maybe that could have been the cure for her loneliness. But I think Yvonne realizes that that can't, it can't work that way. Maybe that's why her mother had her, you know, she doesn't know the answers to these questions, but she knows that she doesn't want to be the type of mother that her mom was. And she's not sure that she's ready for a baby. So Mm -hmm. she just decides that she's going to make the best decision for her and possibly, you know, possibly avoid repeating the same mistakes that her mom made and even her father, you know, who really hasn't been there for her up until this pivotal moment in her life. So do you think that this decision that Yvonne makes about not having the baby could be some kind of communication that she's having with her mother, even though her mother isn't there? Do you think she understands her mother a little bit better? Do you think she maybe even forgives her mother or has softer feelings towards her mother? Not sure if she's gotten there yet, but I think she understands maybe that her mom made the best decision for her, even though it did hurt Yvonne in the process, you know, and her father, although he's part of the reason her mom left. Um, But yeah, I think, I think it, I think the abortion brings her closer to her mother in some way, closer to that understanding of my mom was going through something and she couldn't figure out a way to solve it and bring me along. But she did it anyway, and she's hopefully, you know, living the best life for her. I always want a happy ending in my books and in my movies and in everything I watch because the world is hard enough. And I felt like that was a happy ending for Yvonne, so I really like that. 
Thank you. Yeah, I have a friend, um, Alana K. Arnold, actually, uh, who wrote What Girls Are Made Of, which also deals with abortion. And she just keeps, she read it and she, she blurbed it, uh, which is wonderful. But she just kept saying, keeps saying to me that she loves so much that this book, that a happy ending is, in, is in, you know, ending it in an abortion clinic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's, it's, I, I've said this before, but it's so powerful and it's so radical and it's just, it's exactly what we need right now. Um, and then my last question for you is, what do you hope readers take away from the novel? That's always a hard question for me to answer. Um, well, if you were, if I know it'll be difficult for you to do this, but if you were 17 years old and you weren't the author of Finding a Bond and you just saw that this beautiful cover in the bookstore and you picked it up and read it without reading the back, what would you take away from it? How would this book have helped you when you were 17 years old? It would have just really, it is something that I needed at the time just because it would have shown me that there are multiple ways to be black, mm-hmm. first of all, uh, which was not something that was really shown in my hometown. Of course, my, I saw it in my family every day and, you know, in the few black families that were there, but it wasn't something that was in the mainstream or that was talked about. Um, so that definitely, and also that it's okay to, to be sexual as a teen and as a black teen girl and that it doesn't mean anything more than it means for, you know, a teen girl of any other ethnicity or race. And also that, you know, mistakes happen and nobody's infallible and it's most important to make the best decision for you and not worry about what other people are thinking. I just really want readers to take all of the things that we talked about today because they all are really important to me um, and I think important for teens and especially um, teen black girls to see. I think it's one of those books that you read once and then you put it down and it like it stays in the back of your head while you're reading other things, you know, and then you just you just come back to it over and over again, because that's that's what happened with me. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Brandy, for joining us for our podcast. I can't wait for everybody else to read Finding a Vaughn. The cover is gorgeous. And it's just a preview of what you'll find in the book. Thank you, Christy. I had the best time. 